I was 30 years old, single and enjoying ministry. And I'm so glad that my mentor came to me and said, get married. Because I, I was thinking that. that I was doing ministry, but getting married is ministry, right? Getting married sets you to, into a, a different place. So I'm telling you guys, if you're in the 20s, I'm pointing my finger right in your face. You go for it. I'll, we'll help you. If you're, if you're so shy that it's hard, I know it is. It's hard. I'm glad I got her. The Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. If you find a wife, it means you're looking. <laughs> so look. Open your eyeballs. And okay, you want to say something? We weren't even interested in each other either, by the way. Oh, to come, begin on. With. come on. Well, you know, there, I, I was interested a little before you. Huh? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Lord brings you together, even though you think, ah, nah, nah, wait, no. And the timing, of course, it's all up to the Lord. But as Paul says, sometimes you have to take that step or say, okay, Lord, are you sure? And then he'll speak to you. He'll speak to you. Uh, this was not my time to tell our story, but <coughs> to be continued Maybe I'll share it with the ladies that come. Yeah. So, I'd like uh, to hear it. You want to hear it too? Yeah, there's, there's Paul's side of it because he actually ran a marathon before we got married, and he's run several. Okay, so bragging about Paul, um, it's going to be good, the character studies. He's written a book. Uh, well, let me see, what would you call it? A thin book, workbook, whatever, about character studies. Um, we're looking forward to that. I also wanted to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year because I didn't get to say it to all of you. We didn't get to say it to all of them, did we? No. Um, if you probably noticed, or maybe not probably, we didn't have a tree before Christmas. Did you notice that? And we're, we're not so weird. I mean, I'm, I'm celebrating Christmas until it stops snowing. We're from California, and I love all the celebration and the lights, and it kind of helps, uh, you know, <laughs> when the, when you're cold and you're cozy inside. And besides, we're having a Japanese um, marriage group this Saturday, and so we're keeping things up. We did get a tree on the 26th. 25th. 25th? Yep. Oh, free, free tree, trees. Sure. Uh, yes, and so you can notice and enjoy with me with us. Um, but what I also wanted to say was we celebrated Christmas a little early. I heard some people celebrate way late, too, um, with the family, our extended family, Monday, Tuesday. But when it came to tw the 24th, you know, I, I started to feel that lonely feeling that some people have. And Greg was with us, and it was just the four of us. And we thought, this is a change. This is a huge change from you know, what we used to do on the 24th, 25th. 25th, Israel calls us. I've got two friends that need a place to stay, and they have two kids. <coughs> we just happened to have an empty room at that time. And, um, and that was our B time. You know, we, we, it was just wonderful. We, we were not alone. We were together. And I just thought of how, well, my goodness, are we ever blessed? None of us were in a stable on that night, were we? We had a place to stay. We had warmth. We were just blessed. Um, 
But on the B night, we were going to have a meeting, and I just wanted to say our meeting was canceled, and so Paul and I sat in the our beautiful living room. It's, it was nice and cozy with all the lights and the tree, and just and enjoy. <laughs> no, enjoy. What are you gonna say? <laughs> Enjoy just talking together and okay. realizing, oh, we're not having the meeting. We're not having the meeting. But we don't usually just sit there. No, we quietly. don't usually just sit there. Until, <laughs> until well, okay, uh, without imagining anything else, CJ walked in and we thanked, and he was going to fix this, whatever, the all the machinery down here. here. <laughs> and so we talked to CJ, and I thought, Thank you, Lord. You know, that was a nice little surprise, just a quiet evening, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> All right, we'll have a little conversation afterwards. Get to your message. It's very okay. good. Okay. okay. Don't even think of it. Just a couple more things. We're getting a dog because we really miss our dog. We really miss Lucy, and we want to get it for Naomi. And I'm, I haven't been real good at connecting with the right places, so if you're a dog lover and can help me there, let me know. Resolutions. Anybody? Raise your hand if you made a resolution. Okay. I, I put an article together on a blog called um, Making Resolutions Work. I'd encourage you to read it. I think it would be helpful for you. Um, most resolutions... 90% of them relate to eating and exercise. So I decided, for my resolution, I'm going to eat more and exercise less. <laughs> I heard one comedian that said, uh, here's mine. No pain, no pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I really am thrilled to be able to share with you what you sang about it at 8.15. That song was uh, really right on. You're good, good, good. You're a good, good father. That's what I want to talk about because I, I could think of three things that could deface our picture of God. And why that's so serious is that how you see God is what you receive from God. Say that with me. How you see God is what you receive from God. Here are two brothers, and they see their father differently, and they receive the opposite things from their father. They, they see it, and they, they, they're not able to access. One is not able to access what the father really wants to give him because of how he views him. So how you view God is absolutely essential. One writer said it's the most important thing about you. That's pretty important. How you see God. So I want to talk about how I see God from Luke chapter 15. Sorry about the back. I think we put... Uh, we knocked out a GFI, uh, and so we need to get an outlet. If any of you are better at fixing things than I am, and you're sitting in the back and you want light next week, come and see me, and I'll, I'll get you on a, on a job to take that one out, get another one, and put it in there. Then we'll, then we'll be fixed. So, three things that could tamper with your picture. First is your own choices. You know, you can make choices that will alter your picture of God. Listen to this one. Here's Paul writing to Timothy saying, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Oh my. Demas was not an upstart. D 
Nicodemus was a, uh, he traveled with Paul. He's not a newbie. By the way, we have a, are we having a newbie meeting afterwards? If you're new, we have meetings for, uh, you only get to be newbie once. So take advantage of it. I mean, whatever that means. Do what newbies do, and one of the things is to go to a meeting afterwards, and it'll be up in the living room, and you get to be a newbie for a night. And then we'll talk. Yes, around the Christmas tree. Wow. What kind of things happen around Christmas trees? Yeah. Okay. So, where was I? Okay. Demas, Demas left. And why did he leave? Because he found something appealing in the world that he didn't find in God. Can you believe that? How stupid can you get? He left it for garbage. And yet something got his attention. And so he stepped out. And as far as we know, he didn't finish his race. That's the first thing. You can make decisions that will alter your picture of God. The other thing is that heaven on earth is supposed to be the home. The closest thing to heaven on earth is supposed to be the home. Unfortunately, for many of you, it was more like hell than heaven. And that can alter your picture of God, as some of you know. That if you had a distant dad, someone wasn't there, someone made promises and didn't fulfill them, then it's hard for you to think that you can trust God to fulfill his promises. The Bible says he's faithful. That's who he is. But you may not experience that until you get healed of that experience. Or an overbearing mother that just didn't give you any, any freedom and thinking that God's that way, he'll really fence you in. What's the third? The third is Satan's strategy. His primary purpose, his primary purpose is to change your picture of God. And he did that right in Gen Genesis chapter 3. Has God said? And he got into a dialogue with Eve. And by the time they finished the discussion, Eve is thinking that God's sneaky, he's manipulative, he's insecure, he's holding back. i got to go for it myself. She did. And then they were separated from God, separated from one another, and they had a skewed vision of God. How important it is to make good decisions and to get healed of those things in our life and to resist the devil so that he'll flee from us. So I want to talk tonight about a, a, a picture of God that I experienced that conforms to the word of God. Luke chapter 15, you know the story. And we're just going to lift some things out of it. And we will finish, what time is it? We will finish in less than 30 minutes. So, Jesus continued. He just told a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And now he's going to tell one about a lost son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Hey, wait a minute. Doesn't that usually happen at the father's bidding? When the father decides? Doesn't the father pass it off often at death? What's this jerk asking for it now? Read the next verse. So he divided his property between them. Really? You mean the father's going to just let him go? I was a young man. I'm no longer a young man, in case you wondered. 
And I could feel God's harness on me. And I appreciated it for the most part. I can remember times when I didn't and I wanted some freedom. And I kind of said that inside. And it was as if it was a moment. It was as if God said, Jonah found out that if you want to run from God, there is no transportation problem. Why is that? Because God is the most uncontrolling person in the universe. He is the most powerful and the most uncontrolling. And we see it in Jesus when the disciples are hearing some hard words and people are leaving. Jesus turns to them and remember what he says. He just asks a question. He's not going to say, you better not. I'll break your neck if you go. He said, will you leave? God has never once pulled rank on you as if to show force. He's never once raised his voice. I'm sad. I think of the times I've raised my voice or I've put force in my word to make sure they landed. I had to apologize to someone who lives in the house not long ago because I said, I said the right thing, but I said it with too much force, and I'm very sorry. That was manipulative. God doesn't do that. It's not like God. Satan does. If he can, he will possess you. He will take away your personality. He will cause you to make stupid decisions, and then there'll be this sinister joy, not really joy, but a sinister laugh at having ruined your relationship with God. In Genesis 2, there's a very interesting verse that shows how controlling God is. Listen to this. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. You sure you want to call that a platypus? <laughs> that, does that really look like a zebra? Whatever he named it, done deal. You're in charge. The fact that he believes in you and me, that's laughable. But he's, he's so, so free. See, insecurity brings control. We try to control out of our insecurity because we, things are out of control. And so I'm going to control whatever I can. If I control you because I feel so insecure, I'm, I'm going to do it. But God is so secure in his love, in his sovereignty, that he gives us absolute freedom and he motivates us by his And I can't access too many people. I can't access important people. I've never met the president. I've never met the queen of Norway or the king or whatever they've got over there. <laughs> yeah. But one little tip of the finger or nod of the head, and I've accessed the king of the universe. He's so, so accessible. He, 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 the Bible says God is our present help in time of need. 
I'm very thankful. That is what I experience of God, that he's, he's not controlling. And so when he came to his senses, here he is messing up really bad. The father is suffering for him because that's what love does. The Bible says it suffers love. It says in Judges 10, when he could bear it no longer. That's God it's talking about. He just he couldn't bear it any longer. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, say a long way off, his father saw him and was angry that he had wasted, squandered his life and spoiled the reputation of the family. None of the above. There's no resentment, no bitterness. There's only love. If I squeeze you, what's going to come out? Whatever's inside. If you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what's inside comes out. You squeeze this father and what comes out is love. You squeeze the heavenly father and that's what you get. Love. We can't even know it, Paul says. To know the love of Christ, which is unknowable, he says. Well, that's a trick. The father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion. Compassion is a compound word, cum pathos, with suffering. Pathos is suffering. Compassion means the, the willingness to suffer for somebody else. I remember when I had two sisters. One was in college, and she was really struggling. She came to me. I'm close to this day with all of my sisters. It was close then. She came, and I gave her some advice. She went to her mom, my mom. My mom didn't give her advice. My mom cried, though. She cried with her. And she wrote down the situation over the kitchen sink so that she could be praying for her. She didn't follow my advice, but she heard from her mother because she suffered with her. Here's a father that was suffering for his son, and now he's suffering with his son. That's the kind of God you've got. You think that when you suffer, God is more distant. In fact, God is more, no more close to you than in your pain. Pain is interpreted as the absence of God. What did I do? Did I go south? Did I make a, a stupid decision? I don't care if you made a stupid decision. If you are suffering, the Bible says the Lord is near. To whom? The brokenhearted. He's near. So he's not far away like it feels because you're hurting. Life sometimes stinks. It's very hard. Jesus is so real when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough problems today. That's Jesus who said that, the Son of God. Everybody's going to have problems. We think that because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to miss my plane, or I'm not going to get the flu, or I'm not going to have cranky neighbors. Or we got it all. And we need to learn to live with it. Like the grandfather said, life wouldn't be so hard if you didn't think it was going to be so easy. So if we realize we're being, we're being warned. It's going to be tough. Then it's, then it's easy to bear it. I'm so thankful that I know a God who is really compassionate. 
and to the point that he suffers. That was a, that was a heresy to the Greeks who said God is above that. God's above feeling. No, he isn't. In fact, when it talks about compassion, it's, it's the Greek word for gut, liver. He felt it in his liver. So God feels, not just experiences it. So the son said to him, and this is a really good confession, father. He calls him father. Notice that. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Is he taking responsibility for what he did? He really is. I'm sorry he doesn't do it. Let me tell you, I'm sorry he doesn't do it. I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at this. No longer worthy to be called your son. He's, gonna, he's got another sentence now. He's going to say, treat me. The father says, that's enough. Done. And he says, but the father said to the servants, quick. And he started to haul in the gift. I tried to correct my dad because I was in college. And I was learning things. And I went to Campus Crusade for the summer, two, time, two summers in a row. I knew a lot about churches. He'd only had 30 years of church experience. <laughs> and so I talked to him, and I told him how he could better run his church. And I don't know how long it was after that. If it was a year, I hope it wasn't too long. It wasn't 20 years, I know that. It was a year or two, and I said, what an idiot I was to think that I could tell my dad anything. And I went to him, I said, Dad, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I thought I had anything that I could teach you. Please, would you forgive me? And he said, kind of casually, he said, of course I forgive you. Never heard about it again. Not once. I think I told some of you when I messed up his car brought back the keys, handed them to him, said, Dad, I'm sorry. I messed up the car. I'd been with friends, and we borrowed this 1960 Chevy station wagon, brought it back, messed up the side. And here's what he said. Bound to happen sooner or later. Didn't go out, didn't take me out, didn't say, come on, show it to me. I never heard about it ever again. That said to me, I was more precious than metal. And it gave me the feeling that there was somebody else that's good at, at forgiving. And it's my Father in heaven. Jesus taught us to say what? Father. Father. It's the first word that we learn as a child of God. Where by the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And so it hasn't been as difficult as maybe it has been for some of you. To know that God does it instantly and effectively. Listen to this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to, he gets, he gets down in there. He not only forgives us, then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He says, okay, the door's open. I'm coming in with a scrub. And we're going to get a job done here. 
He's so wonderful about it. He's so kind. And he doesn't say, like I once said to a friend of mine, I forgive you. <laughs> As if I'm really wonderful for, for extending forgiveness. God doesn't say, oh, I for, again? I forgive you. No, he loves doing it because he's applying the blood of his son. And you're hanging on to something as if you're going to pay some penance on your own. That's cheap. You don't need to do that. You can say, I'm coming to you because of the blood of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus. It's okay to pray to Jesus. But we pray to our Father, who's good, good. He's a good, good Father. And when we come, he's ready to forgive us. Like he was ready to forgive his son. Didn't let him get through his confession, for goodness sake. He wanted to get on with it. That's enough. I've heard enough. I know your heart is right. God knows your heart. I've had several guys tell me just recently, I feel like I've committed the unforgivable sin. I said, if you think you have, you know you haven't. Because if you have, your heart is hard and you don't, couldn't care less. But if, there, if there's a tenderness in there, you know that God's already dealt with it. Do not cheapen confession by, by, by your remorse or by self-pity or by holding on to it or think that he hasn't. That would have been an insult to my father. If I'd reminded him the next week and said, oh, about the car, I'm, I'm really sorry. He would say, wait a minute. We already brought that up. Don't you ever bring it up again. That's what I've said to my kids. If they'd come to me a second time, I'd say, listen, I don't want to hear it. That's dealt with. That's a done deal. Don't ever confess it again. Once you confess the sin, you don't have to confess it again. Now, there are times where for the sake of, of healing, you may do that as an act of penance, but you know what I'm saying. You don't throw it back at him again and say, hey, remember that? I, I did it again. He knows how to forgive. <clears throat> so what does he do? Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Hey, what did he go out in the world to get? I think he went out to have fun have a party, maybe have a celebration, maybe buy some fancy clothes. When did he get it? He didn't get it out in the world. He got robbed of everything he had. The world sucks it out of us. But the Father, he pours it on us. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience now. Recently, we've had him pour it on us in ways that I can only marvel at his kindness. He's outrageously generous. Karen and I decided to give a generous gift. Within two weeks, we had it back in two different checks. And God was saying, way to go. Given it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be poured into your lap. I told my kids, I said, it's beyond me. We're rich. I don't know if you look. But we got a limo sitting out there now. <laughs> you know who has the title? You're looking at him. I smile at that because we've got a house and we've got a we got three cars and we got a limousine. And I feel I've never like written in it though. 
I feel like driving that around. Ha ha! I got more money than you do. We've got a rich dad, and he just he loves he loves to celebrate his kids. You know, we have a tennis court here because I got a lot of money. <laughs> no, because God knew that we would love it. He knew that we would love it. He knew I'd like a big yard to dig in. I like to dig. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a, I'm a digger. I'm addicted. I'm sorry. I'm addicted. Listen to this. Fear not, little flock. Jesus is saying, fear not. For it's the Father's good pleasure just to give you the kingdom. He'll give it all to you. He's got an inheritance. He'll give it all to you. It's all yours. Get ready because you're going to get it. And it's going to be way beyond. It's going to be way more extravagant than Warren Buffett. Way, way, far, far more. Far more wonderful. Jesus was talking to some guys and he said, if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children who are evil, how much more will the father give good gifts? Now, this is tricky. I, I admit it's tricky to those who ask. Ooh, that was tricky. <laughs> how do you get it? I said, how do you, you ask. And you'll touch the heart of a father. And he's just too extravagant. He's just outrageously extravagant. Loves to give. And I'm telling you this, not so that communitas will get richer, but so that you'll learn this principle. We give generously. We love to do it. And it all comes back and more. I'm not saying it always comes back like it came back recently, when it came back money for money. But it all comes back in outrageous ways. And so you learn that when you're poor, because if you don't learn it now, you won't learn it when you get money. Do it right now. Do it. Give it away. Not foolishly. Don't write a paycheck when you don't have money in the bank. But give. And here's the promise. It shall be given. That's a good deal. That's a great deal. That makes me want to give more and more and more. I got oodles of stories I could share with you about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. You've got a Father who's very generous. I've got a Father who's generous. And if you're not experiencing that, listen to me, look at me. It's not the Father's fault. He wants to give it to you. The Son couldn't access it. Because he had a skewed picture of his father. He thought his father was stingy and demanded hard work. And if he just worked harder, he'd get more. It's a lie. What you, when you think you deserve it, you don't get any of it. But if you realize, I don't deserve any of this. What's he doing? It's so wonderful. He's walking around thinking, when's he, he going to take me behind the barn and beat it out of me? And it, it didn't happen. And it, he, the father kept showing him his love and his extravagance. And he couldn't get over it. He said, what do you do when that happens? You say, what a good God I've got. What a good father. It just brings the praise out of you. Because you know you don't deserve it. And that's the very thing that qualifies you to receive. So please, for your sake, for Jesus' sake, learn generosity. 
So let's call one of the servants. Your brother has come back. The father has killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. You know, I think if I'd been the father, I would have said, you jerk. You're so controlling. I know why he left, because of you. Because you're no fun to live with. Change your attitude. The father goes out, and he pled with him. Come on in. We're celebrating. He refused all these years. Been slaving for you. See, he didn't have a father. He didn't even call him father. He called him look. Slave for you. Never obeyed your command, except he's obeying right now. He's so out of touch. And yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said. Listen to him. Listen to his, his resentment toward his son. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. This, this father is so kind. Jesus is telling the story of the Pharisees who are trying to impose their rules on these people, and Jesus is having fun with sinner people. And he's trying to get them to see, I've got a good father. You've got a good father. He's kind beyond measure. He's compassionate. He causes the sun to rise and set on people who curse him every day. He rains on their garden. He gives them water for their gardens, and they can't stand him. How kind is that? He said, listen to this. We had to celebrate. God has a divine compulsion to celebrate his kids. Satan didn't invent the idea of heaven. Heaven is nonstop party bliss for eternity. How could we ever come up with that? Nonstop eternal. It starts with a wedding supper, and then it just takes off from there. It's a romance for an eternity. How wonderful. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why we endure. That's why when today is tough, we can say, okay. Because we put all our marbles in the coming kingdom. The Bible tells us to do that. Set your heart completely on the revelation of Jesus Christ that's coming to you. So that's where, that's where our hope is. It's anchored in eternity. God loves celebrating you. He just loves having fun with you. And then finally, um, how am we doing here? Okay, I'm going to make it. Finally, the father wants sons, not servants. Ladies, if we get to be brides, you get to be sons, okay? Is that fair? The Bible calls it sons, but you know it's referring to sons and daughters. When it's referring to bride, I, I'll accept it. I'm, a bride. I'm part of the bride. Right, guys? So he wants sons. He wants children. 
Who are his servants? The Bible says who his servants are. They're the angels. Who are ministering servants sent to serve those who are inheriting salvation. Hey, that's us. <laughs> and First Peter says they're looking over, they're looking over the heads of the writers to trying to get at this message that they're writing about this family, about this father, about this love affair, and they're, they're trying to see. Look it up, middle of 1 Peter 1. They're, they're eager because they will never call God what? Father. He's not their father. He's their father. We have something that they will never have. And so when you pray, I'll tell you, heaven quiets because the Father wants to listen. It says he wants to hear your voice. When Karis was young and we'd, we'd have our devotions in the family room, we wouldn't wake her up. She'd just come down when she came down. I just loved it. Remember, we'd fight over who got to hold her. Can't do that anymore. No. <laughs> you do that with the grandkids. Yeah. But I remember when I heard her voice, I loved it. God loves your voice. He loves hearing you because he wants to celebrate you. We told the kids, you know why we had you? We had six. I, our time ran out. I wanted to have a lot more. We're getting them. That's right. That's right. I said, you know why we had you? Because the dishes were piling up. The lawn was growing. We needed help. So we had you for that reason. Not really, huh? It was the expression of our love that led to children coming to the room. They, were, they, they thought that was the case sometimes. They heard me joke like this. They said, yeah, we work harder than the people down the street. You know what I answered to that? You don't live down the street. They work hard. But it's not about serving. It's about ultimately their kids. They call me father. I call her mom. And we have a relationship. There's love. There's a bond of love. And it's so wonderful. You know what it does? It makes you want to serve. I just love serving my parents. I love going down, just spending the day doing what I could to help them. I just love to serve. Lovers outwork servers every time. Wouldn't that be right, Ed? Lovers outwork servers and workers. Because love endures everything. Love, love suffers long. Love is patient. Love, love has hope and endurance in it. So I'm not praying tonight just for those who had a terrible childhood because all of us, to some degree or another, get a skewed picture. And we make some stupid decision and we mess up bad and we start punishing ourselves or we feel funny inside so we blame somebody else we we say stupid things not if you have a father like this you just feel so secure that you can just acknowledge i messed up because he's not going to shame you he's not going to pile it on he's just going to pour his love down it's healing love and it happens every time if it's number 70 or number 120 for you it's like the first time because he'll get in there with a scrub brother and he'll wash it down. He'll cleanse you out. It's you're starting all over. It's, an, it's a new ball game. 
That's, how, that's what he's like. Who forgiveth us all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. They sang the liturgies of this God. He's way beyond. I can't describe this God tonight. I, I can't begin to describe it. I'm in the process of experiencing it. It's a new day for me. He started waking me up. Karen knows. The things that are happening, they're stirring in my heart that I haven't experienced all these years. And I'm so thankful because she's just pulling it out of me. She's just pulling the love out of me. I'm, I'm just experiencing it. Thank you for those songs, Dustin, because they're true. They're absolutely true. And my desire for all of us is that that's our normal experience, the love of our Father. So as best you can tonight, as I we go to prayer, as best you can, after I throw a few more lows out here, we still got something left here. Cinnamon, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. the Lord and some of you maybe some of you younger ones maybe don't know exactly who he is but uh, how many know who I'm talking about Andre Crouch yeah, he's, a, he's a gospel singer from way back and when I came back from being in another country that would be Japan you know tonight we've, we sang about the nations and Sarah I bless you tonight I've been praying for you I, this whole evening I can't uh, but I, I've been praying Lord as you send Sarah out Lord thank you Father that you love the nations and you love people who are just praying for the nations you've created and allowed to be so use her and there's a song that that really blessed me when I was in high school, when I came back from Japan. And we went to a concert to hear Andre Crouch. And he was just, he just had the fire of the Lord in him. And uh, this song is the blood that Jesus shed. And so if you know the chorus, you can sing along with us. The blood that Jesus shed for me.
know, the song Paul always loved to sing soon and very soon, that was another song of Andre Crouch. Um, You'd be surprised at some of the old, wonderful gospel songs that he wrote, but thank you, Lord, and be with his sister who, you know, he never married, and his sister was by his side, so bless their family, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just put yourself in a place where you just relax, where you're best you can, just ready to receive as the Father comes to you tonight. And he's ready to alter that picture for you. It's hard to say, well, I'm just going to do it. But you can say, please, would you change my picture of you to conform to truth? to conform to the word of God, to conform to Jesus, who is in the image of God, exact replica. And so, Father, we pray that tonight, right now, right here, that you would be altering something deep within us, something where because of shame, or guilt, we turned you into something other than who you truly are. And sadly, we scandalized you. Like Martin Luther said when he was crawling on his knees to try to appease an angry God, he said, love God, I hated him. You may worship a a monster, but you won't love a monster. You'll love a father, the father of Jesus. And so, Father, would you be 